Well, good morning, church. This is uh, an exciting day for us, as you can already tell. Uh, it's a little different with our uh, Vacation Bible School theme set to begin. Uh, that, that starts uh, tonight and runs through the rest of the week, so it's always an exciting time. It is always one of the times that we have more, uh, more guests on this campus than any other time. So uh, even if you don't have a, a child or even a grandchild who's involved in that, if you would join us in just praying about that, we just want to cover uh, all of this in prayer. This is the kind of thing, I, I was kind of standing in the back uh, as some of our families were coming in, so you could kind of see some of the young faces uh, as they would kind of come in through these doors here and they would get inside and they would just sort of light up. They look kind of, ooh, wow, you know, and, and like the big, the big talking point here, you know, I guess maybe you know, zebra, giraffe, whatever, but this thing right here, okay, I, you would have had to have security posted down front when I was a kid to keep me from climbing all over this if I were, you know, five years old or six years old, maybe even now, I might just hop in, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's really exciting. I certainly uh, hope you can appreciate the hard work that our children's ministry team has put into making this uh, just a really exciting time for our students. We want our our youngest members, the youngest people who are part of this church, to fall in love with the Word of God, right? I mean, do we want that? Can you say amen? We can say that. We're in church, right? And more than that, we want our, our youngest members to, to let that, that love for God's Word lead them to falling in love with Jesus, to declaring Him as Lord and Savior, as Logan just led us. We want to see what God is doing. So this is just one great opportunity if you'd be praying about that with us over the next few days uh, that would be really really exciting uh, i certainly appreciate appreciate carson uh, leading us in our time around the table and, and and logan and leading us in our time of worship that young man who led us in prayer a few moments ago is walker sellers uh, and uh, he's the son of jeff and beth sellers and i would love it if you would especially go out of your way to encourage him he's on the back row of the balcony i see you up there walker you can't hide okay uh, his family is up there, but I would love it if you would go and encourage uh, Walker for leading us in that time of prayer, too. Uh, today, we are, are kind of winding down uh, this week and next week, this series that we've been in for the last several weeks called Lead Strong. And so today, uh, we'll, we'll kind of have another entry, and then we'll wrap all this up next week. We've covered a lot of ground over the last several weeks, and, and, and while we're at it, I just have to tell you, how much I appreciate your encouragement of Noah and his message for us last week. You don't know how much time he spent preparing that word and listening to God and praying for that. Noah, I'm proud of you. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you for sharing your heart with us. And, and as uh, someone who, who is investing in this young man, I appreciate the way you all responded to him and continue to encourage him. Uh, you have no idea what God can, can do through that little bit of encouragement. You know, the kingdom of God, the borders expand anytime we begin to encourage someone when we see God doing something great through them. So I appreciate you doing that uh, with Noah. He shared with us this powerful message last week about this adventure, this pursuit of God and the adventure that comes when we, when we set out to follow God with all of our heart. And that leads us really well into what I want us to talk about today, man, I want to spend a, a little bit of time talking with you today about something we don't talk about very often, and that's our heart. You know, for whatever reason, uh, whenever we hear heart kind of language, unless we're going to see the cardiologist, you know, when we hear heart language, we think, well, that's, that's kind of, you know, that's like the, the realm of, of romance, that's more of like a 
I don't know, a, a touchy-feely kind of thing. We've sort of farmed that out to, to our, our, our conversations that, that ladies need to have. And I'm just being honest, there's a lot of men, when you hear that talk like today even, okay, we're going to talk about the heart, there's kind of a disconnect for a lot of men. And that's unfortunate because the scriptures speak so much. They, there's so much in there about the heart. And that's what I'd like for us to talk about here together in our time today. King David was a man of great heart. In the scriptures, you see this pretty clearly. He is referred to in two different places as a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 13 and also there uh, in Acts 13. That's really just another way of saying that David's will is aligned with the will of God. When the scriptures say, when God himself says in the scriptures that David is a man after my own heart, after God's own heart, it's just a way of saying that David wants the things that God wants. In the scriptures, the heart is the center of your decision. It's the place where the will resides. Now, again, we don't think about heart in those terms, right? Thanks to Hollywood or, or Hallmark, we think of the heart and we think of, you know, romance and, you know, Cupid shooting arrows and all this mess. But in the scriptures, heart is all about your choices and your decisions. And so to be a man after God's own heart, to be a woman after God's own heart, to be someone who is shaped after the, the, the heart of God just means you want the things that God wants. You pursue after the things that God pursues. And that's how the scriptures describe King David. Now, David, although his heart is in tune with the heart of God, he doesn't do this perfectly, right? I mean, his heart is in tune with the heart of God, but, but, but not always. Not all of the time. That couldn't be said about, about any of us. Like the rest of us, King David is, is imperfect. He's flawed. He has sins and, and shortcomings in his life, and the scriptures tell this true story because they don't flinch. The scriptures really don't flinch when it comes to telling us about some of the things that David did that were not in line with the will of God. But here's the beautiful part, and here's the part that is good news for you, men or women, but I'm especially just you know, kind of thinking about us as, as men. The good news here is this, that if, if David can be described in all this fullness in the scriptures as someone who has sin in his life and shortcomings in his life, and yet he can still be described as someone who is after the very heart of God, then this is the good news part, okay? Listen, you and I can be described in the same way. That if David and all of his sin and shortcomings can still be referred to as someone who pursues after the heart of God, then you, with all of your sins and all of your shortcomings, and me, with all of my sins and all my imperfections, we can be described in much the same way. So David is a good example of this. He's a good example of someone whose heart is in tune with God, someone whose heart is shaped by pursuing after the things that God wants. And, and one of the best places that you can see this is in the Psalms that David wrote. Uh, until a few years ago, I hadn't really spent a lot of time reading through the Psalms. Um, I've always preferred more of the narrative portions of Scripture, so, you know, describing the, the activities of Moses or, or Jesus in the Gospels or Paul or, or whatever. But, you know, the Psalms, for whatever reason, they just didn't, didn't quite appeal to me. I, I guess I, I kind of put them in that same touchy-feely sort of 
category, and, and, and I, didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time there. But then I realized that the book of Psalms is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament book. That means those New Testament writers, and moreover, the Holy Spirit that inspired them, they, they all seem to think that the Psalms are pretty important. So I realized, you know, it's not a good thing for me to have a section of the scriptures that I, I just kind of pushed back from reading. So, so what I did one summer is I set out to, to commit myself to reading through the Psalms, either one or two every day, kind of like a, a, a kid being forced to eat his vegetables, okay? I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through this, and, and, I, and, and I can tell you I'm so grateful because in that, that reading, the book of Psalms changed my life. I, it's, I know, funny thing to say, right? We, the, the, the word of God through scriptures will change someone's life. But, but it's true. The book of Psalms changed my life because it changed, it changed my heart. The Psalms show us what it looks like to pursue God with all of your heart. The book of Psalms kind of shows us what it looks like to have this heart for God. But more than that, more than just illustrating it and more than just showing us that, the book of Psalms simultaneously cultivates this heart in us as we read through these Psalms. And I know that because I could sort of feel my heart for God grow that summer. Kind of felt like the Grinch. You remember whenever he hears the Who's singing? You remember? And it says that his heart grows three sizes that day. I don't know if my heart grew three sizes, <laughs> but I could feel my heart for God growing. Worship became more meaningful to me, and my prayer life became richer. And these words from the Psalms that David had, had written began to just fill my mind, and they were on my lips, and I could feel this desire for God grow in me. And so today, what I'd like for us to do is to spend a little bit of time reading through some psalms that David wrote. And what I'd like to really kind of focus on here are five qualities of a heart that pursues after God. All right? This list could easily be, you know, 20 or 30. This is not an exhaustive list at all. But after reading through these psalms, I've tried to take what I think are, are five of the most important qualities that we see in David using his own words from the Psalms and trying to, to understand what that means for us as we pursue God with all of our heart. So five qualities of a heart that pursues after God. Number one, uh, a heart that pursues God is bold. David shows us that a heart that pursues God is bold. David was Israel's greatest military hero. Little boys in Jerusalem would run around pretending that they were King David. Kind of like little boys today might run around pretending that they're Spider-Man or Iron Man. They even had this song, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And, and so David was this revered, heroic, bold figure. He was bold on the battlefield. We'll get to that here in just a minute. But not only was he bold on the battlefield, I think what prompted that boldness, what made David bold on the battlefield was this, the fact that he could be bold in his prayer life, in his conversation with God. And you see that in what he says here in just one of these Psalms, Psalm 4, 1 through 3. Listen to this prayer that David prays. He says to God, 
Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Then he shifts. O men, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? Then listen to this confidence. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David is pursuing God with this supreme confidence that the Lord hears his prayer. Look again at the last line, okay? The Lord hears when I call to him. I think that's the basis for this bold prayer that David prays to the Lord. When I hear this prayer, when I hear David praying this prayer here in Psalm 4, I have to ask myself, why isn't my prayer life as bold as David's prayer life? If we want to pray biblically, I think we have to take into account the fact that David is able to pray and communicate to God boldly. And I think that this, his confidence here in the Lord is the, the basis for his boldness in general. David's boldness comes from a place of great faithfulness, but another word that we might use for faith here is trust. It comes from a place of tremendous trust. Do you think after reading this prayer, do you think David trusted the Lord? Did he, does he trust that he can communicate honestly, even kind of directly? There are some things there. He says, answer me when I call to you. That's the way my mom would talk to me or my dad would talk to me when I was little, you know? Answer me when I call your name. You know, I don't think of talking to God that way. And I think, I think there's a tone that David is taking that probably is drained of any of that kind of authoritarian kind of stuff we get from mom and dad. And yet, there's an undeniable boldness to this. He says, answer me when I call, O oh God. You've given me relief. He, he kind of appeals to some of these times in the past. When God's been there for him. So he's saying again, Lord, I need you to come through one more time. And then this last line again, the Lord hears me when I call to him. Trust is the foundation of any good communication. If you have someone who's able to talk directly to you, you know, in, in, in a relational kind of way, you know that's someone who has put a tremendous amount of trust in you because they wouldn't talk to you that way they wouldn't talk directly to you that way if they didn't trust you david embodies perfectly what the hebrew writer goes on to say in hebrews chapter 4 let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need so again the question for all of us but especially for us as men how bold is your prayer life are you approaching the throne of grace with boldness. Other translations of this verse use the word confidence. So you can substitute that. Are we approaching the throne of grace with confidence? Do you think we need more men who are pursuing God with boldness? Do you think we need more of us who have that foundation of trust in God where we can communicate honestly and openly with him? Do we need more men who pray the way that David prayed? We need more men who are willing to be bold in sharing their faith with other people. If we really believe that what we've experienced in Jesus is good news, then you can't stop us from talking about that. 
And that good news has really seeped into our hearts and into our minds. So would you pursue God, first of all, with great boldness? Would you let him cultivate that bold heart in you? And when we think about boldness, we need to hold that intention with this second point. Not only is David bold, but a heart that pursues God is also deeply reverent. Psalm 5, 7, and 8, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Not only is David bold, but he also has great reverence for the Lord. He speaks of bowing down in the presence of God. That's a posture of humility. That's a posture of worship. And note what David says. He says he does this out of fear for the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Uh, I think it's much more than our modern idea of fear as, as trembling and, and being terrified. You know, the biblical concept of Fearing the Lord is so much richer than that. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says, basically, that to fear him is to love him, to obey his commands, and to walk in his ways. Uh, the scholars Craig Bartholomew and Ryan O'Dowd describe fear of the Lord this way. They say, it is a loving reverence for God. So the idea is this. God takes his children and he leads them out of Egyptian bondage. They're there in slavery. And he brings them up out of that bondage. In, in Deuteronomy 10, he says that as your deliverer, here's how you should respond. You should respond by loving me and obeying my commands and walking in my ways. That's, that's kind of what it means to fear God. So in the same fashion, if we have been liberated, if we've been set free from the bondage of our sin, so too then do we fear God in this sense that we love him and we obey him and we want to walk in obedience in his ways so if you put these two together in the life of david this heart that is is uniquely kind of pursuing after god in a powerful way then we can we can make this statement you can be bold with god because david was and you can fear god because david did and you can have those two things can be in play for you at the same time in fact, that's the way the Lord wants it to be. You can have confidence when you come before his throne. You can come before his throne of grace with great boldness, he says. In Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, you see the believers, and they are motivated. They're, they're praying with great boldness, and they're sharing the word of God with great boldness. So you can be bold in your relationship with God, and that boldness is going to make you bold in your relationship with others. But you can do that, and you, in fact, I would say you must do that with this deep sense of reverence and understanding who God is, recognizing his holiness and his righteousness. In our day, I think we really emphasize the nearness of God, which is a good thing. I think we really emphasize this idea of God being near to us, God being our father, which again is a biblical way to think about God. That's the way Jesus speaks about the, the father, okay? So don't get me wrong, that's not a bad thing, but, but, I think we overemphasize that, and I think in that overemphasis, I think we've lost a little bit of appreciation for, for the holy character of God, you know, and the righteousness of God. 
And the other terms that are used to describe God, God as, as judge, God as the holy one, God as the being who is to be revered. So the question would be here, number one, you know, are, are you bold in your relationship with God? Is that boldness leading you to be bold in your relationship with others? Are you also being reverent? Do you revere God? Do you fear God in a biblical sense? Is your life characterized by this loving reverence for God? Is obedience to his commands of the utmost importance in your life? A heart that pursues God is filled with this loving reverence for him, right? But when we fear the Lord, here's, here's the thing, okay? Kind of building onto that. We, when we fear the Lord, the Bible says this too, that we need not fear anything else. When we have the fear of the Lord present in our lives, we need not fear anything else. And that, that helps us understand this third point, that David, David pursues God with a heart that is fearless. Now, I know it might be a bit of a you know, misnomer here to say David is fearless, especially since we just did this whole thing about pointing out that he fears and reveres the Lord, okay? But his own words, and even the words that we've been singing today, kind of testify to this truth, that when we fear God, we don't have to fear anything else. He says as much in these two places. So Psalm 23 Maybe the most beloved of any of the Psalms, okay? The Lord is my shepherd, right? Then he gets to the heart of this. He says, even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going through the low point in my life. He says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God's with me. You hear the confidence in that? There's just this fearless quality to David that I want more of in my life. You know, yeah, I'm going through this valley, I'm going through this low point, but you know what? I'm not going to fear any evil, because God is with me. I'm over, like, get out of here with the fear, get out of here evil, like, I'm not worried about you, because I have God present in my life. And then he just goes on to say kind of the same thing, Psalm 27, verse 1. We sang these words a moment ago. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And then again, the Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom Shall I be afraid? There are so many things in this world that can provoke us to fear, right? I mean, there are so many things to be afraid of in this world. And every time you, you, know, you turn on the news or, or you read something or you talk to somebody else, it's like, okay, wow, and now I've got one more thing to be afraid of. There's, there's just kind of fear-mongering is big business in this culture. And boy, man, do we, do we just subscribe to that. There's so much to be afraid. There was a lot to be afraid of in David's day, too. I mean, the particulars might change over time, you know. But at, at the end of the day, David had as many things to be worried about as you and I do. And yet, look at what he does. He deals with those so faithfully. There's this trust and this confidence that is based upon his fear in the Lord, but he knows, look, if I, if I fear and, and revere and love and obey God, I don't have to worry about any of this other stuff here. And I think that helps David overcome these other fears that are always in play. I think that trust in God is what propelled David to the battle line in his, his most, uh, in, in, in one of these, these stories, these episodes that, that we associate with David more than any other, when he squares off with Goliath. I want you to look at what, what it says in 1 Samuel 17, that David is, is there and he's about to, about to face off with Goliath, and he says this, okay? He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he's going to deliver me again from the hand of this Philistine. 
it's already a done deal. Like, I know it, I've got it. There's this trust that comes from his fear of the Lord that overcomes his fear of this nine-foot-tall giant. And then this, down and later in the story, little detail, but it's, it's huge and important. It says, when the Philistine arose, when Goliath got up, and he drew near, and he's, he's lumbering his way out there to the battle line to fight this little boy. Look at what it says. Have you ever noticed this? It says, David ran quickly toward the battle line. He ran to the battle line to meet Goliath. He didn't meekly, you know, kind of make his way there. He's in a dead-on sprint. You know, this kid, it's like, don't you know any better? That dude is nine feet tall, and he has armor, and you've got nothing. And he says, I don't want that armor because then I can't run to the battle line because he's not worried about what happens when he gets to the battle line. Because he knows he's not going to the battle line to square off against a nine-foot-tall giant. He's going to the battle line to see what God is going to do because God goes before him. And David believes that. So when he gets to the battle line, it's like, hey, I'm just ready to show up. I'm ready to see what God is going to do to slay this giant just like he's taking care of me throughout my life fearless because he fears the lord man i want more of that in my life don't you you want that can that story jump off the page and into my heart can i be like david or is he just is he just sort of like put it out here well that's dbs character category i'm not that what's for lunch i mean are we gonna like let this truth just like float on down the river and say well that's great for david but what about us it's a word to us. You want it's a faith that overcomes those fears. The New Testament just picks up on this. Essentially, you know, David could, or Paul could just be kind of riffing on the David story and those Psalms when he says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? So when we fear the Lord, we don't have to fear anything else. As we sang just a few moments ago, whom shall I fear? So how much fear is in your heart this morning. Would you say fear is one of those ever-present things for you? And given our culture, I, I think we really need to take a good look at this, okay? If you examine your heart and you see this fear there, I would just say, ask yourself, okay, is my fear in blank? Whatever your blank is, you know? Is my fear in, in this, the thing I'm most afraid of, is my fear in this greater than my trust in God? Remember, if you fear the Lord, you need not fear anything. Number four, a heart that pursues after God is coachable. Uh, I think this is, this is one of the more uh, often overlooked qualities that David possesses, but, but it's an important one. David says this in Psalm 25, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long you can really hear david's humility here when he says teach me your ways O god lead me along your path david is, is kind of the consummate lifelong learner you know he doesn't think he's he's arrived spiritually he doesn't think he's reached this place where he can't he can go no further in his walk with god no he understands that god is is like this master teacher and that the more you walk with him, the more you learn, and the more your character is changed, and the more you see what his will is for your life. And, and all of this, he just kind of continues to, to, to grow. Again, not perfectly. There are times in David's life when he's not. There are times in our lives when we don't as well. 
But the beautiful thing that we learn from, from this, from the scriptures, not just David, but the entire, the entire narrative there, it tells us that that kind of spiritual growth never stops unless we quench the spirit, unless we unplug, unless we march headlong out of the kingdom. You know, that, that spiritual growth need not stop this side of eternity. That's God's goal and God's plan. You, and you, you hear these words that should characterize our lives as well when he says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me. What qualities come to mind when you think of someone who's not coachable? Someone who's not coachable, maybe, you know, you work with people, maybe you work with, you know, kids, and you know, they're not coachable, maybe you have employees or whatever, but someone who's not coachable, they always, 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 always think they're right. Someone who's not coachable never thinks they have to ask for help. And someone who's not coachable, usually they have a problem with authority figures. You look at David, and you look at, at, at someone who is coachable, David seems to know that he doesn't have all the answers. But he goes to the one who does. And he's humble enough to ask for help. And he recognizes the sovereignty of God. And in the New Testament, what we call that, someone who, who, who has that awareness and has committed themselves to Jesus, that's what discipleship is really all about. It's this lifelong journey of following Jesus and understanding that he's the master teacher. And no matter how long he's been leading me and no matter where it is that he's led me, there's always room for more growth. I always have more to learn. He's not finished with us. I haven't arrived spiritually. We all have so much more to learn. I love hearing our senior saints, brothers and sisters who, who will say, you know, I, I opened my Bible and I've read this, this verse a million times and yet today there was something new there. I'm pretty sure the ink was wet. You know, I'm pretty sure like the Lord added that one when I wasn't looking because I've never noticed this and it makes all the difference. I love hearing their, their zeal and their fire for what they're learning from God even after following the Lord for years and years and years. That's a testimony to a, a heart that's coachable. So a heart that pursues God is coachable. How coachable are you? What are you learning from God these days? Are you humble enough to ask for help? Do you think you're always right? I struggle with that. <laughs> Young people, uh, do you have coaches, wiser voices, men and women that you're turning to, that you're seeking counsel from and advice? We've talked about that a lot around here. But again, it gets back to this concept of, of being coachable. It's a huge quality that David possesses. Lastly, and uh, I would argue most importantly, the most important quality we can learn from the heart of David, a heart that pursues God, is repentance. Or penitence, if you prefer that most important quality we can observe when it comes to David and his life. The Psalms that David wrote, they are filled with these cries for mercy, this pleas for, for graciousness from God. That, that almost every turn you, you come to these Psalms that David wrote and he acknowledges his sin. He puts it out there and he says, look, I am a sinner. There's this iniquity, these transgressions in my life. And he, he owns it and he puts it out there over and over and over again. You see this desire for him 
to be washed clean by God. And, and I think the most clear place you see that in David is this psalm here, Psalm 51. This is most of these verses. I, I just left a, a little bit out here and there to get it all on one slide. But read it. Read the whole psalm, okay? You get the gist of it just with these couple of verses. Have mercy on me, O God, he says. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And then there's this, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. In many respects, this is the low point for David. In many respects, this is as low as it gets for him. Uh, he, he writes this after Nathan, the prophet, confronts him. David has committed um, several sins. He lusted after another man's wife. And he took her for himself and essentially had her husband murdered. That's the Cliff Notes version, okay? And Nathan confronts this and, and he shows him this. And so this is really, in a lot of respects, kind of a low point for King David. And, and things in the rest of his life, the back half here, are kind of a mess in a lot of ways because of it. So low point. But I think you could also argue that this is the most important point for David as well. Because once his sin is exposed, here's what David does. David turns to God, and he asks for forgiveness. He repents. That biblical word, basically, it means a turning around. In, in our terminology, we might say complete 180. I, I was headed this direction, and then I realized the error of my ways. And so to repent is to, is to do an about-face, <laughs> go the other direction. As wrong as this is, that's as right as this is. You know, it's just this complete about face and this complete turn. And that's what David does. And I would say to you this, without this scene, David never becomes a man after God's heart. I don't think he gets there. Because it's this act of repentance that makes, makes all the difference in his life. Because of the mercy and the grace that he encounters when he repented. And I would say to you that this same act of repentance holds the same power for us today. Do you need to repent? Do you need to cry out to God for his mercy? I mean, just look back over these words again. Do you need to ask God to blot out your transgressions? Do you need those iniquities and those sins to be washed away? And those gracious waters of baptism, that's what that's about. Does that, does that need to happen? Like David, you know, maybe your lowest point might just be your most important point. Because we all get to this place where we realize we are wholly incapable of saving ourselves. We can't overcome it on our own. The problem is too great. The temptation, we've given into it too much. We, we feel overwhelmed because our sin is so great and so powerful. And it feels like the enemy is so much stronger than we are. And you know what? He is. He's stronger than you and he's stronger than me. And your sin, sometimes it feels so great. You know why? Because it is. You can't carry it. You can't drag it on your own. Like you, you're dead in your sins and transgressions. Same as me. Same as the person next to you. Same as King David. Same as every person who ever lived except for one, Jesus Christ. 
And he was the atoning sacrifice for our sin to make a way possible for us in this moment to repent, to be broken by our sin, so that the grace of God could come flooding in. Today, do you need to repent and fall upon the mercy of God? If so, my prayer would be this, that you that you would seek someone out. You'll see elders in this church down front and in the back and in the balcony, and, and they're there to talk with you and to pray with you, to, to go out to the back. If it's a private thing and we just need to find some place in this building that's quiet and talk, do that. That's why they're there. If you need to talk with them and, and their, their, their wives, you know, you seek them out and you, all of you together kind of huddle up there and work through that, whatever the case might be. If that needs to happen, I hope that it would. Maybe today, though, you are so broken by sin, like, you don't need to talk. You've done all the talking you need to do. Maybe today you're ready to like do something about it. You're ready to give your broken, sinful self over to the Lord again in, the, in those waters of baptism and to have the cleansing of the blood of Jesus to cover those sins. Maybe that needs to happen today. If so, I would love for you to share that with us as well. Because a heart that truly pursues God begins here. It begins with repentance. So do you need to repent? If so, I hope you'll do something about that today. Before it is given in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the sovereign Lord, who makes all things new. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand together and let's sing.